we've managed to brand a piece of a cow. People started going to butchers asking for Thor's hammer because they didn't know that that part of the cow was actually a shin. They ask this everywhere in the world. This has gone completely viral, like completely. The business growth can be attributed to organic social media that we've been doing in the last two years. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Good Gravy, where we sit down with hospitality experts and extract actionable advice that you can apply to your venue. My name's Taylor, I'm from Busboy and I'm your host. Today we're joined by Greg from Third Wave Cafe in Port Melbourne, Australia. Now Greg has gone on to do something that I've seen very few hospitality owners achieve and that is regularly create viral content that goes on to reach millions of people. Third Wave Cafe specializes in American barbecue and every month they create these pretty crazy specials that regularly blow up on both Instagram and TikTok. I first met Greg back in 2016 and he is very switched on and has some great advice to offer. So in this chat, we dive into his thought process that goes into these crazy dishes how you can achieve something similar without going overboard. And we also discuss how he's grown his mailing list to over 100,000 people and why he decided to bring his marketing strategy entirely in-house. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any questions, queries, feedback, you can shoot me an email at hello at goodgravy.show. Enjoy our chat with Greg from Third Wave Cafe. G'day, Greg, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Taylor. Let's just start. Give me an overview of what you do and what Third Wave Cafe offers. Okay. So Third Wave is a restaurant that serves American barbecue, slow-smoked meats, the kind of meat that you can cut with a spoon, and burgers. So we're open seven days a week. We're open lunch to dinner, breakfast on weekends. If anyone's seen your social media, what they would have seen is some very impressive, somewhat over-the-top dishes and I'll just list a few here there's the Thor's hammer which is a circular tray with a giant beef shin surrounded by mac and cheese and then what's served to the customer and they pull the bone out there's the holy fluck palmer which is an entire chicken that's been deboned and turned into a palmer topped with beef rib and then served with chips there's the, sh uh, the shovel nachos, which is the giant nachos covered in slow-cooked meats, cooked on a shovel. And then you've also got some what you could say is more normal dishes like giant meat platters for six. And these dishes are, are pushed out on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I had a look. Most of them are getting tens of thousands of views. Some get hundreds of thousands. There's a couple there I saw that, that have about 2 million views. And then I spoke to your social guys before and they said there are some that have done 14 million views on TikTok, which is an awful amount. Would you say that getting those views on social media has led to an increase in sales? Yeah, absolutely. If you ask me how much, I couldn't tell you. But increase, yes. It is probably hard to, to give a definite number, right, unless you, you can't track every transaction. But would you say the majority of your business now you could attribute to your activity on social media? I think I can, and again, this is anecdotal. This is this has no testing behind it because really we can't test generally, but I'd say the business growth can be attributed to organic social media that we've been doing over the last two years. Is all our business coming from social right now? No, I'd say maybe 
80 to 90% of our business is coming from social. And I know that because we know if our campaigns are doing well. So when our campaigns are doing well and there's a, a significant reach, we're talking about in the millions, then we see an uptick in sales. When our campaigns are not gelling with, with social media users and the reach is not as great, we see a drop in sales. But it's not a drop from 100% to 20. It's a drop from 100% to 90 or 95. So that means that, that our social reach is extremely important in growing the business. It is important to give us that extra sales, extra profit, but it's not necessarily the only thing that we need to actually run the business and generate the majority of sales. This approach to social media in creating these over-the-top dishes, where did that idea stem from? From you, actually. Originally, we worked together and you suggested to try this and then that just that, that was the very beginnings and then we built from there quite significantly on that concept. But really, the idea was that we tried creating something special, something different, something that was not necessarily over the top, but something that was unusual and not seen necessarily by everyday, everyday public. And those did better than our standard dishes, right? So when we did filming and presenting our standard dishes on social, they had a certain reach and any of these crazy specials had a better reach. And that led us to doing more and more of them and doing more and more interesting, interesting dishes. And we're now getting really good at it. I didn't want to presume, but I did suspect it started when we had, uh, we launched the bacon taco. I think that may have been the first one. And for the listener, we took a bacon weave. Well, the chef took a bacon weave, which is a couple of rashes of bacon, weaved into a tortilla. Inside was some slow-cooked meats, I think mac and cheese, and perhaps some sauce. We contacted uh, Urban List, which is a, a big food and beverage online publication in Australia. They ended up publishing it with video. And then I think it did quite well on, on Facebook as well. And in retrospect, it was, it was quite tame to what you're doing now. Things have just gone to the next level. And I understand that because there's more and more content going out on, on social media. You've got to compete for attention. What is the process that goes into creating these dishes? Look, it's a collaboration between getting ideas from everywhere, speaking to various people about what they'd like to see, any concepts that they uh, have seen before, and then taking them and between myself and our executive chef, starting to throw ideas around every month. This happens because we create two new specials every month that are these crazy specials over the top that, that then drive our marketing, our social media marketing online. And out of all of that, out of that soup of ideas and, and discussions, we start doing some trial and error concepts and through doing them we find other interesting things that we can create and we just keep pushing and pushing until we actually get to a couple of dishes that we can present to the world every single month so you're looking for something in particular like you you've got to approach it i assume from the perspective of what's going to look good on social media so it's a balance between what's going to look good what's going to taste good and what the kitchen can actually achieve yeah absolutely the 
boundary criteria is definitely what the kitchen can do under stress, right? So we can create all sorts of different dishes, but if they're impossible to replicate in a normal busy environment, then there's no point doing that. So that's certainly a limiting, limiting factor. But ultimately, yes, we're trying to create a wow factor, right? We're trying to create theater into our dishes. We're trying to create theater such that it's visible both in video and still photos and in real life when we bring it out to the customer. So when we bring it out to the customer, we want the customer to say, wow, I want that if they didn't order it. And we achieve that because everybody turns around and looks at the dishes when they come out. And on socials, they need to look like something people want to see and get entertained by. And only then do they actually go viral and that virality ultimately drives our marketing and that marketing brings more customers. So it's a loop. And I think most of them, and I think this is perhaps the best way to do it, is it's not necessarily new ingredients. It's just a re-presentation of existing ingredients. Perhaps there's new elements in there. But you take Thor's hammer, for example, you could have plated that up on a on a dish on a wooden board and exactly the same ingredients wouldn't have had anywhere near the appeal plus there's the name thor's hammer you're actually giving it a name that people can resonate with do you do that a lot i know you've got and we'll touch on this later on you've got actually quite a lot of ingredients in your kitchen that you're able to pull from and and play with yeah yeah so of course the limiting factor here is we cannot create too many new ingredients because that's going to be impossible to produce during busy service. So we have to play around with existing ingredients and create something new that will work within the repertoire that we already have. The backstory for Thorshammer, by the way, is that we've managed to brand a piece of a cow because what happened, and this is something that we know happened, is that people started going to butchers asking for Thorshammer because they didn't know that part of the cow is actually a shin they actually asked for Thor's hammer and they asked this everywhere in the world. So this has gone completely viral, like completely. And there's now been so many copies of, of that, that dish, it's not funny. Not necessarily the entire dish, the way we plated it. Sometimes, yes, but also the actual main, main style of that, which is the smoked beef shin. So we've literally named the part of a cow and we branded it. I wish we could actually put a copyright against it. I don't think we can. You might struggle to get Thor. <laughs> How did you hear about people trying to order it at butcheries? They send us messages. The butcheries? No, the people. Oh, I, and they I went say to the a butcher. They said they, they asked for Thor's hammer. They didn't have it. So what is it? <laughs> it's, quite, it's hilarious. What part of the cow is it? It's the rear leg sheen, basically. And is that commonly used at restaurants? No. It's almost never used in restaurants. So it would be called osobuco in some places, but they would use a small part of it. They would not use the entire sheen like we're using it. Yeah, so we started using this as a bit of a new product that wasn't used before, and we called it a name that seems to have resonated really well. And it went completely crazily viral, and it still does even, what, almost a year and a half later, every time we do a post about Thorshammer, it does much better than an average post that we would do. Yeah, I went through your stats and... The best performing posts were Thor's Hammer. And it was a special. It's now a permanent dish. It was a special, but there was so much demand for it. And we only did this twice now. So we've put a special on the menu twice, even though we've made maybe 100 different specials over the last the last six or seven years because it was just so much demand. People were asking, where's the Thor's Hammer? Can I get a Thor's Hammer? Because our specials last for exactly one month because we'd like to inject a little bit of scarcity into them and people know it now so those people that follow us they know that they either have it this month or they're not going to have it 
potentially ever or we have to wait another year to get it. Those hammer was demanded post post special and I made a deal with the chefs to bring it back. <laughs> What was the other dish that became a there was a rib of lucky? If you could explain that. And rib of lucky, rib of lucky is basically a a sevlaki that is about triple the size of a normal sevlaki. It's got a three different meats inside. One of all slow smoked. The the meats that we smoke it has slow smoked chicken, slow smoked lamb, and a whole not deboned beef rib. So with a bone sticking out that you have to pull the bone out. Plus it has a a mini HSP on the side. Are there any that have flopped? Yeah, majority. Define flopped. Um, okay, so uh, let me explain what these specials do. So the, these specials don't necessarily make our business any better. They allow us to market our business better. Okay, so as, a, as an item, it doesn't create additional sales necessarily or that, mi- that many sales, really. And so what is a flop and what is not a flop? We would consider creating a special that sells at approximately the rate of becoming our somewhere in our top 10 best-selling items for the month, that's not a flop. Anything that's not that is a flop, basically. It didn't do anything. Now, we've had many specials that did amazingly well on socials and did not sell at all. Why do you think, why do you think they didn't sell? I don't know. People just didn't want to actually spend money on them, but they were happy to look at them. They were mains or desserts? No, they're mains. Mains, mains. But majority of them flop. So literally the ones that actually get into the top 10 best-selling items for that month, okay, maybe 20% and then 80% don't do anywhere near as well. And so if a restaurant wanted to implement, say, these specials but they didn't want to get into the territory of too over the top, are there any, anything they could do to, to get some of the results? Yeah, I think so. Because if you think about what these specials do, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about what they do, and, and marketing is the same. So whether you do marketing, whether uh, how you do marketing, it's always about raising a question mark in your target market's mind, right? If, they have, if you raise a question mark, you can then answer it or give them a hint as to how to answer it. And if they answer it for themselves, they're sold. Because you can't, make people do anything but a person can make themselves do anything right and how do we all make ourselves do anything is we talk to ourselves into it that's how it works in our heads we don't never break it down like that but really every single time think about it every time you did anything it's because you talked yourself into doing that nobody else did it for you you did it somebody could have given you an idea but then to take action you had to talk yourself into doing that, right? How does anybody talk themselves into anything is by first potentially asking a question and then resolving the question and then continuing that internal conversation even though they don't think that's actually what's happening in the, inside their head. So these specials, what do they do? There is a question in person's mind. What is it? Do I want it? I like it. How do I have it? These are all questions that are raised in a person's mind that will help them answer because it's here and you can come here and you can have it here, right? So how do you create a dish that's going to raise some questions in a person's mind that the answer is you, okay? It doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to be crazy. It just needs to create a question in a person's mind as to do I want this? Can I have this, okay? That means you do something that is not initially apparent it is not standard it is not what they've thought about all of their life you need to interrupt their normal thought process 
and inject something in there that they have to now consider, right? How do you do that? You don't have to go crazy with it. If you're, if you're making a pizza, put an ingredient on that pizza that was never put on a pizza before, okay? It doesn't have to be bigger than another pizza. It doesn't have to be wider. It doesn't have to be this. Just put an ingredient on it, right? Um, how many pizzas have people had with caviar on it? I don't know, but I can tell you it's probably going to do okay on social media. So you need to create something that injects a question into people's mind and interrupts them, right? If you can do that, you don't need to go over the top. I think as well, perhaps a component of it is what you're trying to do as a marketer is invoke some sort of reaction. If you put out content, no one reacts, no one engages with it, it doesn't go anywhere. And a reaction is either going to be a positive reaction or a negative reaction, both of which contribute to growth on social, contribute to a post that's going to reach a larger amount of people. Ideally, it's positive. However, I'm sure there's some people reacting to your posts which are perhaps not positive. Overwhelmingly, they're positive. There's some people who it's not a dish for them but they've come across it. But by them engaging with it, it's still working for you because Facebook or Instagram or TikTok sees, hey, people are engaging with this post. Yeah, look, it's correct. So, yes, controversy also drives engagement and that's a negative response to your posts. But... What effectively means, like with all marketing, rule of thumb is target your market. And it's not, a, it's not a bad thing to have some people reject who you are as long as some people accept who you are. But it's a great thing on socials because that drives the algorithm. The more people comment, whether the comment is good or bad, the algorithm doesn't care. It just goes, lots of comments over a certain period of time. Great, I'm going to show it to more people. So creating things on, on, on socials that create controversy is actually a good thing. And we're leaning towards that now more and more. We are trying to create dishes that could potentially create, either create dishes or present them in a way that could potentially create some controversy. We find that it works really well. And if people put all sorts of negative comments, that actually creates engagement twice. It can create engagement because uh, they just place the, place the comment, and that's good for algorithm. But it also creates engagement from other people who don't agree with them, who start basically pushing back or fighting with them and creating more posts, which creates more incentive for the algorithm to, to show it to more people. It's basically everywhere, literally, if you can think of it, we're there, but we don't concentrate on everywhere. We concentrate on Insta, Facebook, and TikTok. So we are on, on Twitter or X, we are on LinkedIn, we are on Pinterest, we are on all of them. We just, we just copy and paste content. We don't pay too much. But YouTube, yeah, we're trying to engage people on YouTube a little bit more. So YouTube is probably our forced, forced platform that we pay attention to. But we're not getting any traction on YouTube. I don't know why, but that's just the case. Facebook has always been the main one. And what's interesting that's happening now, and this is quite an interesting change of events for me anyway, is that Instagram is beginning to overtake Facebook in its importance. Even though our following on Insta is about a third of that on Facebook, and our reach on Insta is now rivaling Facebook. So something changed with the algorithm that Meta is using. And how are you managing all this content? Are you hiring an agency? Is it done in-house? So we are... Um, uh, a very strange company that has two people that working for us just creating content, so full-time. That, 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 that's all they do. I don't know any other business that does that. 
you put out quite a lot sometimes what five posts a day five six posts sometimes more and, and they're more they're not just photos either they're videos mm -hmm. that take filming editing you've got sound as well what made you decide to bring it in-house so this happened about a, just over a year ago we had content being created but not by in-house and the rest i actually paid some for promotion facebook only i didn't pay any anywhere else but I saw that oh, that ultimately we need to create a hell of a more content because when people say they can create viral content, I don't necessarily believe that they can repeatedly create viral content. I think that viral content is mostly a fluke and mostly an accident of algorithm. And yes, you can try to get it closer to being an accident of algorithm, but other than that, repeatedly doing it, I'd say it's hard. I'm not going to say it's impossible because there are some people that do it, but if you have a look at the real results, is that 99.9999999% of all posts don't go viral, right? If somebody cracked it, then you'd have a lot more posts going viral. So when you hear all these people talking about that they can create viral posts and they can do it every time and all that, I would take that with a grain of salt. So my view on that was that we have to create quantity not necessarily quality of content. I'm not saying that the quality of content has to be crap. It needs to be good, but you don't know which one is actually going to go viral. And you could create, if you create 100, you'll have a chance of one of them going viral. If you create 10, you basically don't. My thinking is, all right, I need to create a lot more content. How do I do that? By bringing people in-house that can only do one thing, and that is create content. And I took my budget from advertising budget that I used to pay to Meta. And instead of that, I spent some of it on the people's salaries. And I had to add to it, obviously, because that wasn't enough. But that paid off dividends. That that worked. That strategy worked. Every guru since then has been talking that you've got to create more content. You've got to do this. You've got to go. You've got to do more work from organic standpoint. So that all happened after I've I've made the decision to to make it work, and it worked. So you're not spending any money on Facebook ads at the None moment. None at all. Are you spending any money anywhere on advertising, or no. it's purely going to your staff? Purely going to your staff. What about email marketing? Is that something you're utilizing? Absolutely. So email marketing is a reasonably big part of our marketing stack. So we have a, a reasonably large database of customers because we spend a lot of time and effort and marketing strategies to acquire the data from our customers so we can continue to communicate with them by EDMs. And we have EDM, EDMs going out once a week consistently. Our database is nearing 100,000 now, we, EDMs is a big part of it because we can talk directly to customers. Have the majority of those people on your list come from your booking system? They come from a variety of different places. Majority of them actually come from our birthday, birthday marketing uh, campaign, which, which is reasonably unique out there in that we give anyone who signs up, as long as they live in Victoria, at $80 worth of food for free with almost no conditions. The only condition is they have to be over 18 and they have to come with someone else. We don't give them, we don't make them have a, a minimum spend. They just need to bring another human with them because that other person will most likely buy something. We, don't, we just don't want to enforce lots and lots of rules. And we have served literally tens and tens of thousands of people in this way in the last 
eight years and we've collected lots of goodwill because of it. People love it because we don't put a lot of conditions. We're quite easy with it. And we've collected probably 50 to 70,000 names doing that. I can understand why venues wouldn't want to do a birthday special, like a birthday giveaway. How have you been able to manage that? Giving away $80 worth of free food would be tough for a lot of owners to to get behind. Yeah, especially if you're doing tens of thousands of people. So so how's that worked out? How do the numbers work? Okay, so how do the numbers work? So basically, if we're giving away $80 worth of food, the cost to us is somewhere between, let's say, $25 and $27, which is standard one-third. One Let's just say it's one-third. Okay, that's our cost. It's a real cost. It's also potentially a cost in that you are losing business because that person is sitting in a table where somebody else would have wanted it because we don't put a limit as to you can only do it on Monday to Thursday or whatever. So we, we hate limits because limits, when you put limits on, on offers, what you do is you're really limiting the offer and then you have less people taking it up and the whole idea of the offer is that more people are going to take it up. The way the numbers work is this, that because we're asking for the birthday person that gets a free food to bring somebody else, what happens is that the other person would buy something. So the way we it works out is this, that out of 10 of these offers that are taken up, probably about five would only bring one more person with them. Three would bring more than one person with them. And two will bring a lot more than one person with them. So then you are looking at averages, okay? So the question is, how do you give away lots and lots of free food and still make money on it, okay? And the only way to make money on it is to do a little bit of maths and to understand a little bit of what the averages are. Because on a surface, it makes no sense. Because if you think about it, if we're giving away $26 per person and we give away 10,000 people, that's $260,000 that we gave away for free. Who's got the money to do that? On the other hand, if you think about it, that those 10,000 people are actually going to bring you another 20,000 customers, okay? So now you have to do your your average on how much did 30,000 customers spend and how much did it cost you to serve the 30,000 customers in total, right? 10,000 of those didn't spend anything, 20,000 of those spent something, but 10,000 of those that used the vouchers did spend something because on average they will buy a drink or they'll buy something else that is not part of the deal. We don't make them do it. We don't do a lot of upsell. We're trying to take it easy on everybody and leave them alone. So the net result is that we actually make a lot of money on giving away a lot of free food. And we're talking about we're giving away hundreds of thousands of free food a year, making lots of customers happy and still making lots and lots of money because they bring lots and lots of people with them. It is not unusual that we will find a group of 12 people with one person having a birthday and they have a free meal and the other 11 people pay. Now, if you're a restaurant and if I called you and I said, hey, I've got a group of 12 people, I've got my birthday, would you comp my meal? Most of the time you say, yeah, you're going to bring 12 people with you? Great, yours is free, right? So every restaurant does it anyway. They just don't do it in a systemized way, the way we're doing it, without collecting data, without making the customer happy, without any of these things. And we're doing all of that. And it works and it just continues to bring people over and over and over. And we've now seen many people that if it's their birthday, they celebrate in one place only. 
And chances are those people that they're bringing along haven't been to your cafe before either, so they get to experience it. And then I assume in order to be eligible next year, you've got to stay on the list. So there's that continual ability Correct. to Correct, otherwise to they, won't get a, they won't get an email. But yeah, but to speak a little bit to what you just said, so the concept of lifetime value of a customer is a huge, huge driving factor in this, uh, in, in this promotion. So I've just talked about how you make money on that promotion on day one, okay? But you continue to make money on that promotion forever because every customer that visits a restaurant becomes a customer for a certain period of time. So then you can calculate a lifetime value of a client. In a restaurant, let's say, let's talk about ours, our lifetime value of a client is somewhere around two to $3,000. So that means that birthday person who invited 10 of their friends, okay, has theoretically over a period of time provided us with $30,000 worth of, worth of sales. Yes, not tomorrow. Yes, over time. And for different businesses, lifetime value is different because the time is different. But over the next three years, we are expecting from that one birthday person with that one group to earn $30,000 that we didn't have before. Okay, and that happens every time, all the time, over and over again. It's not just driving the sale all on the day, it's also driving sales for the next two or three years. Thanks for joining me today, Greg. Mm -hmm. If people want to learn more about you, where can they go? Just our website, thirdwavecafe.com.au. Our socials, again, Third Wave Cafe is, the, is a tag name on all socials, whether it's uh, Instagram, Facebook, email. You'll find info at thirdwavecafe.com.au. If you have any questions, if you want to chat, if you need some support, just send it, send it to me. I'm happy to help out if I can. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Good Gravy. If you have any questions, feedback or ideas, just send me an email at hello at goodgravy.show and consider subscribing on your favorite podcast app.